Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and as always, this is my co-host. I am Chris Huddleston. And today we have a very special guest with us. Hi, I'm Doug Burnside. Now, Doug, we all go way back. Like, Doug and I know each other. Do we all, did, were we ever all in school together uh, before high school? Well, I can tell you it's a little odd because you and I met in the fifth grade. And I remember back, even back then, you would talk about your friend Chris. And I've certainly been aware of who Chris is. But that's what's very strange about it is we've never met. What? I, wait, what? I, really? I, I think we. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. We I don't, may have had art an art class together, like 10th grade or 11th grade or something like that. But other than that, I don't. That is blowing my mind. I just assumed. Well, this yeah, is what happens when you assume something. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if I, I, I mean, my apologies if I'm forgetting. But, yeah, I don't know that we have met. We may not have. But it's cool that we're meeting now. Yeah. After when we're <laughs> on that note, we're very excited. Yeah, but I've been <laughs> I've been aware of you since I was about ten. Me, me as well. Uh, well, I'm of your work. I'm tickled pink. <laughs> I, I did not bring a two old friends together without without realizing you haven't met. Um, anyway, today we're going to be talking about the uh, film Edward Scissorhands. Character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. Eddie, you take my very breath away. Do you have a girlfriend? Oh, <laughs> is there some special lady in your life? Hey, full doctor, skewered kid. It's just a scratch. The power of Satan is in him. I can feel it. Drop your weapon. All along, I felt in my gut there was something wrong with him. From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. I can't. Okay, good trailer. Um... Chris, do you have a synopsis for us? I do. Uh, Edward Scissorhands is a 1990 film directed by Tim Burton, and it stars Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, Diane Weist, Anthony Michael Hall, among others. And this synopsis is from IMDb, and I really like this. 
an artificial man who was completely constructed and has scissors, incompletely constructed and has scissors for hands, leads a solitary life. Then one day, a suburban lady meets him and introduces him to her world. (laughs) (laughs) It feels kind of oddly English second language. Yeah, I I don't know. I I really like that. So uh, I don't know. For people who have not seen Edward Scissorhands, it's... It's a guy with scissors, and he goes into suburbia and hangs out with Winona Ryder. I don't know. I, f- I figure most people are pretty familiar with this film. I would think so. Doug, you are the special guest. Do you want to give us your first? Uh, you want to go first in terms of your impressions? Well, impressions are funny with this one because I can tell you my my memory of this is that it was a beloved film that I, I guess. Uh, everybody has seen everybody's aware of it holds a place in your heart but to be honest when i saw it uh back in 1990 eh, i didn't i wasn't a big fan of it and Mm -hmm. i felt like it kind of just fell flat in a lot of places and i guess now i can articulate why i think those things because i've seen it again and i'm a little older but i i've just in my head it was cemented as this beloved film from our adolescence and i never I didn't have any fondness for it, and I got to tell you, after watching it again, it's got some problems. Well, Dish, let's go into detail. Well, the the overwhelming impression that I get from it is that it's a product of its time, and the execution of it is kind of all over the place, but I really feel like this works as like, it, it would have worked as a cartoon or an animation like these days, you know, you've got the full Pixar CGI experience. And I think after, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas and all these other kind of, uh, you know, Tim Burton vehicles, it's very easy to look at this and say, well, of course, you know, this is a perfect kind of thing for a big budget animated feature. But watching it now, it's kind of like a janky previs. I mean, we're, we're seeing really inconsistent, you know, sets where, you know, everything with uh, Vincent Price, you can tell they went that extra mile and really, you know, put a put a lot of shine on it. And then anything without him, even in the, the kind of Magic Castle, kind of looks like a high school production of something. And the, the, the town itself looks like a lot of spray paint and plywood. And it's it it just doesn't really have that kind of production value that you kind of have come to expect from Tim Burton. Hmm. Do we know what this cost to make? I was just as uh, you were talking there, Doug. I was just looking that up. So I will. You you guys talk, and I will find it. Yeah, I I know what you're saying for sure. I think rewatching it, I wondered. So you felt that that. Uh, I I'm uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Did you feel that that was then unintentional that they they spent the money on the places where twenty the million was the budget? Twenty million, a, a fair amount of that probably went to the talent, but they weren't all big names uh, then. Um, Doug, did you feel like that the sort of more uh, two dimensional, obviously the primary colors in, uh, in town were intentional, but this sort of shoddiness or the literal two-dimensionality of the town was unintentional? Because I kind of read that. I watched it, and I thought that was deliberate. Well, I I, I guess the, the choices were very obvious. I mean, there's nothing subtle in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, the choices were made and they were definitely out there. But I, I didn't, it's more like I didn't quite buy it. I mean, and that, that would be, I think, mm -hmm. an, an, a running theme for this is I just, I just don't buy it. You know, there's, uh, it's, it's very obvious what he's going for, the kind of cookie cutter suburbia and, you know, all the houses, the garish colors and, you know, kind of everybody's this superficial, same kind of thing. But it was like, I just didn't buy it. You know, it's, it's like there's supposed to be the suspension of disbelief there where, you know, you're supposed to buy that these are people going through the routines and going through their, their lives. And it's like, I just, I just watch it unfold. And I'm like, yeah, it's it, that suspension of belief doesn't get off the ground for me. This is, you know, community theater. This is not, you know, this is not being sold to me. It didn't pull you in. Well, I mean, it, I felt like I wanted to be pulled in mm -hmm. and I wanted to feel like, you know, this was, only, you know, like a fairy tale kind of thing. But it's, I just didn't buy it. You know, these people, I, I you know, it just didn't feel authentic. And uh, I, I guess that's kind of a, I don't know, I, definitely a judgment I'm putting on it. But, um, you know, the intentions were clear, but they just, I, it wasn't sold. Right. What, Chris, what did you think? So um, I, I kind of fall into what Doug was talking about, the, that this is a beloved film uh, for me. So I saw this, I guess we must have, I don't know, probably junior, senior year of high school when this came out, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw it in the theater. We would have related to the Winona Ryder character and we would, that, that's the, they were in high school, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that we would have been, they they supposedly were our peers when we were right. watching this. And it's always interesting to me watching these movies as an adult. You know, do you, I, I don't know that there are really um, adult characters to really relate to. You know, I don't really know that you could really relate to her parents. Um, but I think the, um, the ending of this works for me more than I like all the jokey stuff with, um, you know, making fun of suburbia. Um, but I think the last 30 minutes or so of this is really great. And it's, again, it's interesting to go back and watch this now because you have Tim Burton, Johnny Depp and Danny Elfman doing the music, which since then, kind of all three of them have become sort of caricatures of themselves. Mm. You know, um, uh, I really like Tim Burton's early films, but the stuff that he's done later in his career, you know, things like Alice in Wonderland and uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, those movies are just unwatchable to me. Um, but, you know, this was in his peak when, uh, you know, he was doing this stuff that was, popular and I guess critically acclaimed as well. Same thing with Johnny Depp. Um, you know, Johnny Depp did really interesting work at this time. And then, you know, there was kind of his post um, Pirates of the Caribbean career where he became kind of a caricature of himself. And, you know, Danny Elfman gets to a point where all of his music sounds kind of similar. Um, <laughs> did you, you know. Do you ever watch Family Guy? Yeah, yeah. So they had a they had an episode called Blue Harvest where it's a Star Wars parody right. that they did and uh, at one point he he uh 
Luke is the the son. I, I don't watch it enough to remember what is Chris. And he says, mm-hmm. "Ladies and gentlemen, you know, John, uh, whatever his face is in the London Philharmonic Orchestra, and they play the Luke's theme, right? So later mm-hmm. in the movie, they come up and the stormtroopers, the stormtroopers have killed Aunt Ben and Aunt Veru, and they've also killed <laughs> the orchestra. And he goes." Great! Now we got to finish the movie with Danny Elfman. Swipes right. Great. So yeah, you know he got to where everything sounded alike, but this was pretty early on in that. So I think I really enjoy the pretty much from the the part where he's doing the big ice sculpture and Anthony Michael Hall comes along and yells, and then he accidentally cuts Winona Ryder and. And I, you know, that were the, um, you know, he's creating snow by, as he's chipping away at the, at the ice sculpture and, you know, she's dancing around and the Danny Elfman music is playing all that just, it comes together and really works well for me. And that through to the end, I think is all really great. Um, you know, the, uh, like Doug said, the, um, these, making fun of suburbia is really heavy handed. You know, there's nothing subtle about that. And it's, it's been done in other ways since, you know, it would be really hard to misread or misinterpret the intent here. Oh, absolutely. So, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of this. It's still, how much of that is nostalgia? I don't, I, I don't know, but you know, I watched it, um, again, you know, this week, for the show and I, and I really enjoyed it, but it's, it's hard to separate that nostalgia factor. So, you know, if this were a brand new movie and I watched it, I don't, I don't know if my, you know, if my reaction would be quite the same, but it kind of hits all the right beats for me in a lot of ways. I like Tim Burton's aesthetic as we, you know, we talked a little bit last week after the last episode and, you know, it, maybe that has gotten, kind of stale and he was sort of a wind trick pony, you know, where everything again, sort of like with Danny Elfman, everything was kind of the same, but at the time this was obviously very, very original. Yeah. I, I, I mean, one trick pony might be a little harsh. It's funny. Cause yeah, yeah. My, my take on it was really splits the difference between you two. I, I remember when I saw it in high school Everybody thinking like, oh, this is so great. But my my reaction to it was much more like Doug's. I was like, give me a, you know, come on. Like, Mm -hmm. I understand this is supposed to be kind of allegorical and literally painted in primary colors. And he's his world is black and white. And the rest of the world is these pastel, you know, eye hurting, whatever. And it's absolutely two dimensional and empty. I get it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, but then and, and. also, I love. Well, it, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's it definitely feels like you know you get what they're doing and you you kind of see what they're going for and you can add up all the disparate elements and it's completely unique and wildly original and yet at the same time you can already kind of fill in all the story beats. You yeah. already know how it's going to go. Right. It's so so much a little children's story. That you can, you see the, it sets up the arc, you see the arc, it doesn't surprise you, right? But it's not really a movie made for little children. I didn't feel like it was a movie made for an adult audience, but it is like literally a picture book for kids. That's how simple the story is. Um, 
I was, I was also Anthony Michael Hall was like, uh, I was a big fan of his when he was the skinny, you know, 16 candles, weird science character. Uh, and here he's, you know, put on some weight and he's beefed up and now he's the jerk. And I just thought he was so loathsome a jerk. Now, this is all when I first saw it, but when I rewatched it, I actually enjoyed it a lot more, I think, because I didn't have anything invested in it. Um, so the, the parts of it that bothered me initially bothered me a lot less. And I just thought it was super refreshing to remind myself that at the beginning of his career, Tim Burton hit the scene doing something that felt really fresh and really original. And it got to the point where I just didn't have any interest in, I don't really have any interest in seeing any Tim Burton stuff anymore because it feels so much like a repeat of the same aesthetic and like well the, uh, yeah and uh, even even this early in his career that aesthetic it's like it's all there you know it's i mean all there you can see every little bit and piece plays out in all his different films and i, I don't think that's a bad thing I, I think it's a strength but at the same time it's so recognizable you can be like okay yeah there's the black and white stripes and there's this yeah. the spot color and there's the sort of amorphous statue thing that looks like you know the what the Ooga Booga or whatever from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and, you know, Curly Q stairs and, you know, yep. it's, it's like all there. It's kind of like a cross between, you know, Alice in Wonderland and, and uh, what is it? Edward Gorey, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which it, it works, you know, and, and it's immediately recognizable, but I, I just felt like in this film, there were so many instances, you know, a perfect example being, you know, the first shot, uh, or the first scene where they're inside the castle showing kind of the, 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 the mechanisms and the animatronics of, you know, this cookie making and all these different things. And it's like, it look kind of looks like it was put together for a high school production, yeah. you know, where it's just not, you, you know, it's like, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I get it. I know what it's put. All right. Yeah. It's a little walking robot thing and the feet are cookie cutters, but it's like, you, but you're they don't work. Right at, I've always thought that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> They're not actually cutting cookies. They right? just kind of bounce off of the, you know? Yeah. And they, but there's this, there's a nod and a wink there where they're like, yeah. And, and you, you get it right. You you're buying this, right? You, you And it's like, well, I get it, but I don't know if I'm buying it. That's, and that's, that's kind of where I get I think that carries through the whole movie as well. Like, I think that Edward Scissorhands, the character, and this is most clearly depicted for me in the scene where Diane, is it Weist Diane or Weist? Weist? I think it's or Weist, Weist yeah. or Weist, yes. She's wonderful. Um, but shows up and she comes upstairs and she's like, hello, hello, you know? And he rises up out of the shadowy corner and sort of walks toward her and his kind of hunched Nosferatu walk with his knives hanging down you know his wrists bent at right angles and uh, to me in the storyboard that's supposed to be terrifying right this monstrous shape coming towards her out of the shadows and you know she it she catches her breath right so i think you the story it's telling is there's this frightening and then he comes into the light and she sees this you know sad little johnny lonely johnny depp face you know and the she goes, loneliest oh, no. Cenobite. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think I would have enjoyed it more if it had made its if it had made its points sharper, so to speak. Edward Scissorhands. But um, mm -hmm. 
Like if that had been a genuinely terrifying moment and when he swipes her hand, you don't wince. You just kind of go, oh, no, that's not going to end. They're going to use that against him, right? You're not afraid for a Winona Ryder. And now that I'm talking about it, maybe he did think he was making it for kids. It was a Christmas movie. Right. right? Another thing with the uh, – I, I noticed watching this time that I don't know that I'd, I – I have the Blu-ray of this. So – and, you know, I was watching it on a pretty big screen. So uh, maybe noticed stuff that I hadn't noticed, you know, in the past watching it on a small TV or whatever. But it's funny anytime he cuts anyone, like the scene where – uh, with Vincent Price. And I've always thought that scene is kind of touching where, you know, he's giving him his hands yeah. and has he dies. Yeah. yeah, he has a heart attack or whatever. And then as you just see his, you know, the 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 blades just push through the hands, you know. But anyway, after Vince, Vincent Price is is down on the floor and he goes over to to touch his face and he and he cuts him with the uh, scissors, you can clearly see that it's just it's not even like an effect of cutting. It's literally just almost like smearing lipstick onto yeah. his, you know, cause yeah. it's just, you know, he's just moved the blade across there and it's just, you know, and it, it doesn't even look like a cut in any way. I feel like the closest they get to the actualization of that is Edward Scissorhands own face with the scars. They do right. do some sort of, you know, Halloween um, putty for sort of scar makeup on his face. Um, but at the same time, and I was kind of distracted by this and trying to pay attention to it at the same time, there's not a lot of continuity there that, that works where it seems like his scars kind of move around from scene to scene. <laughs> and, and his hair is definitely like there, there was not, you know, there was not consistency there. It seems like on different days for, you know, different shots, the, the whoever was doing the moose that day had a different technique, you know, it was. It was, uh, you know, just very inconsistent. And and it's the kind of things, the things that took me out of it are the things that are not supposed to take me out of it. Where, like, you know, I make the joke about the Cenobite, but he's got this very elaborate outfit. And all I can think is, well, how does he, I mean, he's got scissors for hands. How does he even put his clothes on? And what's with the hair? It's like, you well, know, I... the, the moose takes me out of it because it's like somebody's doing his hair, but it's not him. I think he's not supposed to, that's I mean that's the other paradox I think he's not really supposed to he was a robot so all those buckles and sort of steampunk junk is really I felt sort of a gesture to the fact that he's not he's not a guy who gets up that that's he's just like that all the time he never gets undressed they put a shirt on him but he doesn't change clothes. You know, the hair is clearly like, oh, this is how a guy with scissors for hands would, your hair would end up if you tried to run your fingers through your hair or something. But, but I think all that just kind of touches on kind of the issues I have with it where, yeah. you know, and I, I'm sure a lot of that is what I bring to it. But, in you know, in watching a film like this, I'm asking way too many questions and I'm just not... Yeah getting answers and I'm, I'm not satisfied with that and i think that's that's part of what keeps me out of it because it's like well yeah how does he do his hair how does he do his hair and then like later in the movie it's like well he's a hairdresser <laughs> but i you know it's like i just i you know i mean how does he do his own hair yeah, yeah lots of questions not many answers but you know 
like I said, that's me just bringing baggage to it. But it's also when I talk about like that suspension of disbelief, I can't get in that bubble because I'm just like, well, how does that cookie cutter foot really? That's not working, you know? Yeah. I wondered. I, so I, I was thinking on that subject, I was thinking like, so if if this were to be done in a way that sold it, like what would he actually look like? Would he look more like a robot? Would would he be more horrifying? I think he would have to be. He would, Edward Scissorhands would have to present much deeper in the uncanny valley of, you'd have to be able to take pity on him, right? Because Diane Weist, uh, mom. Yeah, she, she really was fantastic. Mom wouldn't take him under her wing if he, if she didn't see something to love there. So that, that would have to be there. But I think we could have pushed the horror factor of other and different and, as Anthony Michael Hall's character says, not even human, right? Which is a cruel thing to say, but I think you could also read the literal into that. I mean, I think he could be much less human looking. Um, and then I think that would, when he goes into town, all the kind of the ladies and he's doing their hair and that's obviously very sensual. So there's something that's about the the fear of the other, but also the uh, attraction of the other. You know what I mean? That would make that, that would dial that way up and the stakes would go way up. Um, and I feel like this this movie made really deliberate choices to keep the stakes low and safe and for a Christmas audience where you could bring the kids. You know what I mean? And so I think all that was deliberate, but it would have been interesting for me to see Tim Burton actually go dark, darker, like literally tonally dark and not just um, kind of goth um, style dark. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think that's been his entire career, though. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of, I mean, again, it was still a comedy, but probably the most adult movie um, I, some of the more recent ones I've not seen, I, ne I never saw big eyes or whatever it was called the, uh, about the, that was the true story of that, uh, artist. Um, but other than maybe, I mean, I, I would say probably the most adult thing that he ever did was Ed Wood, which was, is still a comedy. Mm -hmm. and um, probably hands down my favorite of his. Ed, Ed Wood is fantastic. You know, it's a, it's, that's the thing we were talking about this this last week as well, his, um, you know, I'm putting Edward Scissorhands in there as, as well, but you look at the beginning of his career, you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood. And then it was Mars Attacks was kind of his first, to me, real kind of misstep. But, but that's a pretty good run for any director you know, to have that many films in a row of that, of that kind of quality, you know, he got very hit or miss, you know, after that, I, Sleepy Hollow, I like, but then the Planet of the Apes remake, which oh, was yeah. just terrible, you know, problematic. Yeah. So he's been all Why over the place since then. But... Planet of the Apes? Why remake Planet of the Apes? Well, th th you know, the one thing I would like to point out, and I, maybe I just saw this differently, but you know, you Chris, you mentioned you said he was kind of like a robot, and then you talk about like remaking Planet of the Apes. I've always felt like this movie was a remake of Frankenstein. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's the you know there's Geppetto and Pinocchio. There's Frankenstein. 
Um, and this is the same story as The Nightmare Before Christmas, more or less. I mean, the, the protagonist has a different set of desires, but it's the same scary Christmas movie, right? When everybody's goodwill is at its, you know, at its most overwhelming. And so then here comes this freakish thing, but you welcome it in and you realize that it's not the monster. But yeah, absolutely Frankenstein. And the only thing really that it kind of lacks is the is the the crowd, you know, they didn't have torches and pitchforks. You know, that would have been just like maybe two on the nose, you know, if they had done that. But yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting how the uh the people in the town love him so much and then they just completely turn on him, you know. Um but yeah, that's it's it's definitely it's always been you know, Frankenstein to me. And Tim Burton has said before he loves the monsters, you know, more than the people in those movies. Oh, so. well, that's I mean, to me, that's kind of clear and, and kind of goes back to the just the art direction and the aesthetics of it, where there's just this meticulous devotion to, you know, the costume design and the character design in, in you know, Edward Scissorhands. But I feel like kind of everything else gets short shrift, you know, from the, the sets to the, the, the costumes and the, the characters themselves. But it's like, I mean, the character Edward Scissorhands, I mean, that's a fantastic look. It's a, you know, it's a very interesting um, character altogether. And it just isn't, you know, the rest of it just isn't polished. Right. Like Chris said, I wonder if, and I never really thought about it until, you know, we were talking, until us talking now, but, you know, were the houses supposed to purposely look cheap? Was that part of, part of his view of suburbia? I I can't really tell what, you know, I mean, I know his intent is clear in what we're supposed to think about suburbia and, and the situation, but, but yeah, it, that gets a little less obvious because when you're when you're talking about you know you see these people in their yard watering the lawns and it's like is that supposed to look like a tract house because like when especially in the wide shots when you're really looking at that neighborhood and you see like all the cars pulling out it's like they don't look real they it looks like you know some some scrub patch of desert in southern california where they just put up a bunch of you know plywood cubes Mm-hmm. I felt like that was very intentional. I, I, that was actually, so I, I felt like my initial resistance to it when I saw it as a kid was like, oh, come on, like, I get it. You don't need to, you know, suburbia bad, you know, suburbia boring, suburbia, you don't want to be here, suburbia, you know, completely, um, uniform in its thinking and in uncreative and right and so you you take this sort of creative this artistic element and drop it in there and they go bonkers over it until it doesn't do what they want it to do and then they reject it and i'm like i don't need 90 minutes to make that point you made that in the first scene when she's selling makeup but i didn't rebel against it this hard the second time, I think, because I've seen several other movies kind of try and make that point. And there is something like when you go ahead and you steer into the primary colors of it, it it, it doesn't muddy the water in a certain way. You know, it's just it's literally like a, a coloring book. You know, this 
this house is red, color that one in red, this one's blue, right? And that translates right down to like the woman in the red house, her dress is pink and her hair is orange, right? Um, and the the religious woman, she's a nut, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it, there isn't any subtlety except in Edward and in in the people who genuinely come to care about Edward. And it's as though proximity to him allows us to see humanity in the humans, whereas all of the other humans seem even more robotic than the robot. Yeah. I would agree with that. So it didn't bug me the second time around because I'm like, oh, that's what he's doing. Uh, And I sort of just was watching performances like, oh, that's really, she's having fun chewing the furniture there, you know? But but when I first watched it, I I think I had an expectation that I wanted, you know, I was looking for a different kind of storytelling or, and that's just not what the, that when the second viewing, my feeling was like, oh, that's just not what this movie's doing. Um, So did you just watch it when, when we were kids and then, and then this is just the second time you've seen it? Yeah. I don't think I've seen it since. Yeah. Same here. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is one I, you know, it's, it was on TV a lot over the years. And so I've, I've watched this several times. But like I say, I was I was a big fan, you know, from the beginning. So, I mean, I actually like it. I think I don't want to skip ahead, but I, I I would recommend it to people. I just think I hear both sides here. I like I there's a big part of me that uh, very much remembers agreeing with Doug's take on it at first, and it wasn't until I watched it. You know, when we watch stuff for this podcast, I think I look at it slightly differently. I It's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't necessarily sit down and watch for enjoyment. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think I look at it, I'm sort of, I don't know, in like critic's mind or something. And I just go, okay, let's see what we got here. And that allows me to kind of get out of my own uh my own way in terms of bringing my personal pet preferences uh, to movies, like watching Highlander, which we're going to do next week, um, was interesting. And I, I can't wait to talk about that one. But that was that was a beloved movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> and rewatching, I have a lot to say. I haven't rewatched <laughs> it. I haven't rewatched it yet. But again, that's going to be one where, you know, can you separate the nostalgia factor? If that were just a new movie and you watched it, what would you think of it versus something that you watched right. 30 years ago or whatever, right. you know? And um, so I, I, I don't know how, you know, it's like if the empire strikes back came out tomorrow and was a brand new movie, would we be as blown away by it as we were when we were seven or eight years old or whatever, yeah. you know, I, I yeah. can't answer that question. Yeah, I can't. I can't tell you. Uh, I've always been a fan of Highlander, and when I was in college, of course, the Highlander Two: The Quickening came out, and all of my friends went to go see it, and everybody came back disappointed. And I said, "How was it?" And they said, "Do you like Highlander?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I love it." And they said, "Then." don't watch <laughs> Highlander 2. And you know, to this day, I've never seen it. I have never watched that sequel. I don't I think never you're have. anything. I well, really I, I, I mean, that's definitely the, I mean, the, the, the one line, you know, review I saw of it was there should have been only one. <laughs> <laughs> I even, so I, I've seen the second one at some point and there's, 
there's more than two i yeah. believe maybe three or four and there was a tv show i remember watching the my roommate in college watched the and it TV. was pretty good yeah it wasn't it wasn't too bad my my roommate mate in college watched the uh the tv show all the time so i i've probably seen every episode of that but i have i remember it pretty well in the original film but i have no recollection of the sequels at all i have no idea what takes place in them or who i I who think is in them or anything? Two was considered so bad that it was one of those things that they made three as the, though two never existed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think they just pretended it didn't happen. And so from the perspective of Highlander three and Highlander four, there were only really three movies. Mm. That's you know, you, you have to make a real stinker for the rest of the canon to, of course now. When we're doing these comic book movies, it, oh, it just yeah, everything's hand waved away. You just Suicide cannon. Squad, yeah. This we're making Suicide we're Squad. Re- what? No, it's not remaking it. It's not. We're not remaking it. We're making it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or there's how many Hulks have there been, and how many Spider Men uh, and Batman and stuff like that. And I discover that I'm like, I don't care. Like I, you, I like that one. Oh, I didn't like that one. Ooh, I yeah. really like that one. Like you know, if it's good, I like it. I don't need it to be like, hey, we already saw that. This is not what happened in the last one. I think at this point, it doesn't. I don't think it matters whether you like it or you don't like it. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be a new iteration in the next few years. You know, no matter what happens. Yeah. So, um, which I don't know. This coming back to Edward Scissorhands, it's it's kind of amazing when you think about it how the um, the film business has changed because you look back at you know i don't know that a lot of these movies early on were gigantic blockbusters but they did well but outside of batman uh and then when you get to um alice in wonderland which i think made over a billion dollars um tim burton was never a guy who did sequels you know Mm -hmm. and if Edward Scissorhands came out now and was reasonably successful, there would be an Edward Scissorhands too, probably. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they did do it now, though. Would it be like Alice in Wonderland, where it would be like full kind of you know live action cast with heavy CGI? I think so. Or, yeah. Or would they go the full animated route? Because I I, I I tend to think with something this broad. Um, and especially with the, the kind of actual story elements of it being kind of so straightforward and rather minimal, I tend to think it would work, you know, as like a Pixar style, like full on CGI movie. Hmm. Yeah, I think you could definitely do that. There's a there's a little mind game that Chris and I sometimes fall into on this when because we, we're big both we're both big fans of the the director Denny or Dennis Villeneuve. Oh, yeah, he's and, great. And so there's sort of a. They're sort of a like, how would Dennis Villeneuve make this? <laughs> what would <laughs> Dennis Villeneuve do? What would he do? I, I think that would be uh, a really complicated, crazy movie, and it would it would bring CGI in ways that would help it, but also keep all the practical. You would hate being in suburbia, right? Suburbia would feel numbing and empty. Um, but I think that the the castle, the haunted mansion on the hill would be a wonderland of, uh, well, I mean, you kind of get that anyway. I mean, really the only kind of, the only levity in this film, the only kind of joy 
is up in the castle until you know until Edward Scissorhands starts doing the topiaries and the hair and everything else. It's like he's bringing that down, you know, to that that little town. But without him, I mean, it's just banal. Yeah. You yeah. know, I wonder, to, partly to your point, Doug, I wonder if this movie would even get made today other than being an animated film. You know, is this too weird of an idea to be um, a live action movie. And, you know, a $20 million budget, we that basically doesn't exist anymore. You know, you either well, you have... Know, to oh, that point, you know, this is right on the heels of Batman, which was, you know, a phenomenal worldwide, you know, box office smash. It almost makes you think that this film was kind of like, you know, the one that he made after he got the big slam dunk and, you know, he was able to get the studios to fund what had to have been right. a hard sell. You know right. I mean? This, this True. could not have come before um, Batman, certainly not at the scale, but it might also explain kind of some of my uh, kind of uh, disappointment with it because, again, on the heels of Batman, which was just a production just dripping with funding you know that to follow with this it was kind of like really you know it just doesn't quite you know it doesn't quite deliver you know and i think i i wanted more of a uh more polish you know i wanted a little bit more um a little more production and some of it just kind of fell a little short there and it, it might be just the 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 issue of maybe trying to squeeze too much in on too little a budget and in, you know, in having a handful of like nice set pieces, but, you know, kind of sprinkling the rest all around and not quite getting there. Was this the first collaboration between him and Johnny Depp? I believe so. I'll look here. They certainly stuck together the rest of. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it was the first thing that they, they did. And, you know, I've always thought it was interesting with Johnny Depp at this point in, you know, early on his, in his career, where you had this guy who, um, you know, was this sex symbol, you know, classic uh, movie star good looks, and how much of his career they spent covering that up, you know? Yeah. Um, I've, I've always thought, and I'm sure... You know, I'm sure uh, studios didn't always like that. Oh, we're going to take this guy from, you know, what? He probably was best known for, like, 21 Jump Street or something at this point. But it's like, we're going to take this heartthrob guy and they're going to put this weird makeup on him? You know, I think think he'd been in Nightmare on Elm Street. He was, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street was his his first movie. Um, But, yeah, so I don't know. I'm sure studios, you know... Once they started making a lot of money, maybe they didn't care, but I'm sure they were just like, so why are we covering him in makeup? Right. You know? Well, it's also worth saying, I mean, as cynical as I am about the whole thing, that the movie would not have worked on any level and certainly wouldn't have persisted in in kind of the pop culture you know, consciousness. And we certainly wouldn't be talking about it now if it wasn't for Johnny Depp and his mm-hmm. performance. I mean, his character is larger than life and it works you know the movie around him is kind of hit or miss and there's good spots and there's problem spots but 
you know, that character is iconic and it, it, it's really because of his performance. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the design of the character also steals from pop culture stuff. Like, I, I always thought he looked like Robert Smith from The Cure. Sure, right? With the yeah. hair and the face. And well, that's not what uh, Depp is doing with the character, but the, certainly the silhouette and the picture of it. And The Cure was a popular band uh, by that point. But I don't know that the people living in suburbia necessarily would have all known what Robert Smith looked like or connected the dots. So, I, you know, good poet Steele. I feel like that was a nice lift. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had actually done, uh, he was in Platoon before this and Crybaby. Those were probably two of the biggest things. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. he had a small part in, in Platoon. But, yeah, I've always, you know, Johnny, again, it's, it's you know, it's kind of... Uh, it's sad in a way what happened to Johnny Depp, you know, when he just got in these gigantic movies. But I guess you could say, you know, he wipes his tears away with hundred dollar bills. So you can't, <laughs> you can't feel too, too badly for him. But I've just, he was well, he's, just. He's a, also at that point in his career where he can't really win because I mean, where's he going to go from here? Yeah. You know? But I, I, you know, he was an interesting actor during this time frame because he, you know, he did a lot of unconventional things and, uh, and, you know, he's a really, really good actor. Um, so I've always liked, I've always liked Johnny Depp and, but, you know, once the, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies came along, it was kind of all downhill for him. He's still done some okay stuff since then, but, um, have either, I think we brought this up one night, but it, have either of you seen Dead Man? With Johnny Depp, I, yeah, I had that was a Jarmusch film, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I remember the impression I had was was pretty strong. I did enjoy it. I've always wanted. It's one of those that I've always wanted to see, and you know, I've always been aware of, but I just never got around to. For some reason, you know, yeah, as I recall, it's some like dark western kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I think it's almost kind of there's some supernatural elements. I think to it. But I, I end up I need to watch some more Jim Jarmusch because I, I always end up wanting feeling like I want to like Jim Jarmusch movies more than I end up actually liking. They kind of meander, you know, they're also not the kind of films you want to like, like, you know, it's not an event. You don't want to, like, build it up. And it's kind of like you need to sneak it in, you know, like Jarmusch films are, you know, kind of like, oh, what's that? Huh? And then you just kind of get drawn into it and then yeah. at the end you're like what the hell was that you know it's it's not they're not like big summer tentpole movies they're they kind of catch you by surprise they're little winter sinkhole movies yeah there you go. <laughs> um so how do we feel about recommending this we're we're about at the let's you know summarize point um so doug would you say you recommend generally or do not recommend viewers i, w- I would say it's it's a singular vision it's unique and it's interesting it's creative and it's sometimes beautiful and i would i would recommend it just because it, it it's not like other films you know i would present that with some heavy reservations because i don't feel like it's successful on most levels but just for what it is it's you know it's a fantastic singular vision you know that we don't see a whole lot of that you know ever I would actually, I would agree with that almost verbatim with 
there's just a, one of my meters is like I feel like I enjoyed it more despite a lot of that. I think I would recommend it also with some of the same caveats, but with a little more uh, sort of general enthusiasm. Like I actually liked coming back to it, and I was like, oh wow, there I could see I I experienced anew what made um, Tim Burton such a kind of a remarkable figure in cinema early on, you know? And I really, I enjoyed that aspect of like, oh, there he is, right. Oh, that's really fresh. Yeah, did you, do you remember that movie Singles? Yes. Because Vaguely, yeah. there was a scene where they were shooting uh, for, uh, I think some like dating video. And uh, Tim Burton had a very brief little cameo where he was like sitting behind the counter and he was like the guy who was gonna shoot and the girl there at the counter just kind of gestures over. The camera looks at him, and they're like, he's the next Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, that's always stuck with me because he just kind of had that like, yeah, whatever. You know? <laughs> um, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I'm a fan of this movie. I've always, it's 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 charming to me, and I've always just kind of, you know, gone with it as a fairy tale and not, you know, not, thought too deeply about um the you know the the complications with it i guess i don't guess i don't think that's the quite the right word but well you're not yeah. ruining your own fun exactly yeah yeah so i i don't know this is a movie that i wonder how this would play with young audiences today mm-hmm. who've not seen it before i don't um you know, I think it's 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 one of those that that maybe probably falls into the same category as a nightmare before Christmas, where you have, you know, like the hot topic kids, you know, are into it because of the goth, you know, it's kind of goth light. Um, but I don't know. Again, it, you know, it's hard for me to to separate the nostalgia factor. Um, I I like Tim Burton's aesthetic, uh, you know, in these early movies. So I recommend it. I was on IMDb. It, it has a seven has almost 500,000 ratings and uh 7.9. Hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty strong. Yeah, that's really strong. So I, I think other people feel the same way. I mean, I think it does oddly, it works really well at Christmas. I think the fairy tale shape of it and the fact that it's, he does the snow, it's otherwise summer, but it, the music always feels like the Harry Potter trailers to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that uh, sometimes we we say, is this a movie you would like, would you watch this on a date night or would you watch this on the couch with, you know, someone that you want to snuggle up with? And I, I think it does pretty well as long as you have a sense of. I think if people were Edward Scissorhands wants this, I don't know, let's check it out. They might be a little like, what the hell? <laughs> but uh, at this point, if you've never heard of Edward Scissorhands or Tim Burton, you know, that seems surprising to me. So I think knowing what you're getting into, this is about as fresh as his stuff gets. It's innocent. Would I don't have kids. Um, I don't know, Doug, if you do or not, but nope. um, okay. Okay. Chris, would you watch this with your kids? I might watch it with my daughter. I actually, I think it's, um, I think it's a little slow 
for my kids. I, like, I think that's, I, I think not, so many of these movies from this era, you know, you watch like early 90s movies from the 80s. They're so much simpler than movies are now, you know, yeah. and slower for sure. I remember Coraline, when you were talking about animating this, I thought of the movie Coraline, which was genuinely scary, right? Mm-hmm. And my daughter saw that at a friend's house or something when she was, I don't know, seven and maybe six or seven. And it really scared her. The, the mom with the button eyes. Um, so it's like, they can handle like young kids can handle more punch than this. Uh, but I just think that she would sort of yawn and say, I want to go get on my iPad, mm-hmm. <laughs> but quarter of the way, halfway through it. Have you Why? had that experience of, has there been anything that you have, uh, really wanted to show her that you thought she would really like and and she didn't has that happened yeah that 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 my the my dream of like sharing my beloved stuff with my kids died very early on the mm. <laughs> okay <laughs> they they are not interested and in fact if I'm excited about it, that's like a poison. Uh, you know? Dad likes it. It's going to suck. Yeah. If I just kind of <laughs> left it lying around, they'd be like, hey, I discovered this really cool thing and I have to swallow. I have to be like, oh, really? Oh, that is cool. Like <laughs> Star Wars. I'm like, you guys got to check this out. And they're like, dad, get off us with your stupid Star Wars stuff. And I was like, no. <laughs> I know somebody who showed their kids uh... – one of the Charlie Brown, I don't know if it was the Halloween uh, or the Christmas special. And, you know, they were really excited to show it to their kids. And their kids were just like, this is really boring. <laughs> you know, they didn't, yeah. they weren't into it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it is what it is. I guess we got to discover new stuff with them. Or they'll come across it like they'll be in high school or college and they'll be like, have you ever heard of this Highlander movie? And I'll be like, <laughs> it sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could watch it together. Could they watch it and enjoy it unironically? That's the thing. I, I mean, don't it was no. I think I, I did when I was a kid. I, yeah, I but could I... kids today do anything unironically? True, true, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, but on that note, so so for next week, so that's I think that's three recommendations of varying intensity across the board for Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I'd like to qualify mine as saying, you know, if you haven't seen it then by all means, knock yourselves out. I can't imagine that there's a lot of people that would be interested in this movie that haven't watched it. You know, I don't, I don't know, but I also don't know how, you know, aware people are even of this film. I don't know. You know, younger audiences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for our, for our generation, when it came out, it's like Edward Scissorhands, dude, what are you talking about? But, um, yeah, I think for a lot of younger people, there's no reason why that would come up on their radar at all. I, I don't really know how kids discover movies now because with us, so much of, you know, so much of the older movies that were, you know, I think it's something like Planet of the Apes or 2001 A Space Odyssey or something like that were just movies that I just caught them on TV at some point because they were mm-hmm. just shown over and over and over again, you know, and, uh, now when you know kids aren't doing that just randomly catching something on a saturday night or a, you know a sunday afternoon or whatever and so i don't know do they just see the cover on netflix or uh prime or whatever and think oh okay 
That looks interesting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Should we do it's Planet possible. of the Apes or is it too big? What's that? I said, should we do Planet of the Apes on here or is that too big? Is that too too obvious and mainstream? Yeah, we could do Planet of the Apes. Yeah. I mean, there's enough water under the bridge. I saw that and I got to see that in the theater a couple of years ago. That would have been fun. Which was pretty cool. And it's funny, Doug talking about sets. You see how cheap the sets are yes. in that movie, are watching it on the big screen. The, like ori- the, the original, original. Yeah, the original. The original. Yeah. The original. And you can see that the, there, I remember there was a scene where, you know, it's in one of those, uh, in one of their buildings or whatever, you know, that's like a cave and the the apes are running along like a bridge and you could literally see it um as they would go over it it would kind of bounce you know because it was made out of whatever you know whatever you know obviously wasn't rock and you also could see that the uh the apes were wearing shoes too (laughs) (laughs) just shoes that you know had been made to look like feet but yeah so that was it added uh, kind of to the charm to my it. My favorite but. is always the like Star Trek cavern scene where the floor is always concrete. Yeah, yeah. Like just right. smooth, polished concrete. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how it is on this planet. Exactly. <laughs> but Planet of the Apes, yeah, I would do Planet of the Apes sometime. Again, that's it'd be really impossible for me to separate my, you know, the nostalgia on that one, but Yeah. Yeah. But it would be great you know, to talk about. There aren't hard and fast rules here. No, no. So for next week, though, we are going to be discussing Highlander. Um, and if you haven't seen that, please join us, watch it, and and uh, listen. We're at Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. Thoughts, suggestions, feedback. We're on most of the socials. Uh, <laughs> not quite all of them. And, We're not on um, TikTok. I don't we are not on TikTok uh, and uh, probably won't ever be. <laughs> Unless you want to bust out your dance moves, my back is bad. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a good dancer. So, um, Doug, thank you very much for joining. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it, was, it was a blast to join you. Yeah, it was great and, to have you. Um, hopefully, you will uh, come back and join us on another episode sometime soon. Sure. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, so for next week, uh, Highlander, and uh, until then, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>